Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you for our time together. You heard that a gazillion times on the radio, but during this little coronavirus panic problem, I'm going to sit down and every day talk with you from the Word of God, pray with you, we'll worship together, we'll have morning devotions together, and then every evening we're going to have a service together. Sister Bev will be leading worship. We'll bring video clips in. I'll teach about a 30-minute sermon. And we'll let this be a time of growing faith, not a time of panic, not a time of, of fear, but a time of growing faith. Father, we come to you today. We ask in Jesus' name as we begin this new journey in a way that we've never gone before. We, we've never walked this path before. But Lord, we walked a lot of places that we've never walked before. And you've always been there. You've never failed us. You've never forsaken us. All of your promises, you've never let one of them fall to the ground. They're all yes in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we come to you as we walk into this new season. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your incredible faithfulness to a thousand generations of those that love you. Hear our hearts today. And, Lord, let your peace. Let your peace come into the hearts of your people and let a simple rest of faith grow in Jesus' name, amen. Now let me talk to you about what we're doing. Yesterday we started our first test. We just did scripture. Today we're gonna do our second test. We're gonna add in some praise and worship and a few other things as we go. We will not do this tomorrow, but by Monday when the lockdown is in effect, whatever that means, because we don't know yet, we're very understanding the government, bless their hearts, they've never done this before either. But when all the decisions are made, we will live and be submissive in our hearts to the government. But at the same time, we'll come into your home every day, twice a day, morning devotions, and then later on in the evenings, we'll have a service together so that we still are able to minister to you. God wants you to know that you're not alone. And we're gonna be there right walking through all of this with you. So. It's wonderful to be a part of a great family. But right now, I want you to come with me to Psalms 91. And, you know, we may open every day with this during this period because it is the psalm of protection. It is a psalm that I have read every time I've gone through hard times in life to remind myself that, you know what, God's never going to leave me. Psalms 91, let me read it to you from the New Living Translation today. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Not fear, find rest. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he has rescued you out of every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Did you hear that? His faithful, not just promises, his faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. I like that. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. I like that. Wherever you go. You sit on a jeepney, his angels are there to protect you. You sit on a bus, his angels are there to protect you. Wherever you go, they will hold you up with their hands so that you will not even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Oh, we have a faithful God. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship now.
That is awesome. Now, I told you we're going to be learning how to do this because I'm actually live sitting here in front of my computer at the house, Skyping this into main campus. Brother Jong and his team then join it with praise and worship and then send it out over a couple of different venues. I think Facebook and also uh, YouTube. Now, depending on how the regulations on the lockdown go, we may get music or you may get me just sitting here all by myself and just talking to you every morning. But we will just adapt in Jesus' name. I want you to come with me to the book of Luke chapter 3 today. Luke chapter 3 for our devotions. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Aturia and Traconitis, and Lasanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, let's just stop there. During the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Biblically, are there to be two high priests? Of course not. There's one high priest, a descendant of the family of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. Well, I'm sorry, but Annas and Caiaphas are neither. And there's not supposed to be two high priests, there's supposed to be one high priest. Now, immediately when you see this, you just need to put a question mark in your Bible, and that's what I used to do until I really began to research it and understand what this was all about. As a young baby Christian, I just thought they were a high priest like Aaron was a high priest, but they're not. The anointing of Aaron's family was lifted after Eli. These people have hijacked a title. Now, so I write in the column of my Bible, a hijacked title. These were politicians. These were nobility from the Hasmonean dynasty. That was a, a dynasty of Judean rulers during the intertestamental period from the time of Malachi until now the time of Matthew. About 100 years or plus before this, they had been conquered by the Romans. And these Hasmonean rulers had been given the right to name themselves high priest to, quote, have self-governorship among the Israeli people. And really, the, the Romans were quite nice to the Jews. They allowed these rulers, these self-proclaimed high priests, to actually rule the people, the Jewish people, all over the world. But they are not spiritual leaders. They are politicians who have hijacked a spiritual title to give legitimacy to their authority in the eyes of the people. So you need to understand when Jesus the high priest comes along, he is in complete direct opposition to these false high, the false high priestly dynasty and family because Jesus is a true high priest from the order of Melchizedek as the book of Hebrews tells us. And these guys are simply nobility who have hijacked a spiritual title to give legitimacy to themselves in front of the people. So during the reign of uh, the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John. Now, this is an incredibly important thought. The word of the Lord came to John. This is the first time God is speaking in 400 years. From the time of the prophet Malachi until the time of the prophet John the Baptist, the word of the Lord had not come to the people of Israel. God had gone silent. So this, this shows something new is beginning. There is a new wave of revival, so to speak. He went into all the region around the Jordan. Now, this is not Jerusalem. This is down by the Jordan. So down that big mountain, down into the Jordan Valley. He went around into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So notice, it's a message of repentance for forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Now, this is the purpose. This is the prophesied purpose of John the Baptist. This is his purpose in life. His purpose was not to draw attention to himself. His, his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus, to get people's hearts ready for the revival, to get people's hearts ready, 
to make a straight way for Jesus, to fill in the low places, to level down the high places, to make everything straight and easy for the ministry of Jesus. Verse 7, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Now notice, a new move of God always brings crowds. Now I make that little note in my Bible. A new move of God always brings crowds. They came out to be baptized by him. Now listen to his words to this crowd. You would think, I mean, hey guy, these people have traveled from all over the place. They've come down into this desert area around the Jordan River down by Jericho. I mean, it's a bleak, awful, ugly area. They've traveled down the mountain. They're going to have to travel back up the mountain. They've really inconvenienced themselves. You should be nice to them. But instead of being nice to them, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, just want you to notice a couple of things here. When a new move of God begins, crowds come. And in order to be a part of a new move, they have to inconvenience themselves. They can't stay up in Jerusalem where it's nice and cool. They had to come down to the, the desert area around the Jordan by Jericho. But the message is very, very strong. Because John recognized crowds are not always sincere. Let me say that again. Crowds are not always sincere. Let me say that again. Crowds are not always sincere. So he looked at these crowds, and rather than saying, thank you so much for coming to see me. Thank you for how you've inconvenienced yourself. Oh, you are so wonderful that you are hungry for God. He recognizes that there's people there that are sincere, and there's people there that are just following the crowds, and there's no sincerity in their hearts at all. So never trust the sincerity of a crowd. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit. He said, let's, let's get real. Let's, let's stop the games. Let's, let's quit pretending. Let's get real. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He said, now listen, if you've really repented, there should be fruit. Let me say that again. If you've really repented, there should be fruit. I look at people today and they say, Pastor Summer, I'm born again. And I look at them and I say, Tell me how your life has changed since salvation. What do you mean? Well, well tell me, how are you different now? How, how do you live your life differently now? Well, there's not really any change, Pastor. I go to church. Then you didn't really get saved. You see, salvation involves repentance. And repentance bears fruit. There is demonstrable differences in our lives. Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. And he said, and do not begin to say to yourselves, he said, now listen, don't, don't sit there and self-deceive yourself. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now, self-deception is one of the greatest traps of religion. It's one of the greatest traps of, of holding people in false doctrines and false truth. They say to themselves, how many times have I told you, whenever you talk to yourself, answer yourself? <laughs> I know that sounds like a strange thought, but the problem is we all talk to ourselves every day. The problem with talking to yourself is that there's no correction to your words. So if you're going to talk to yourself, correct yourself. He said, don't you begin to say to yourselves, we don't need any of this. Abraham is our father. He said, for I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, one of the things we need to understand is at times of revival, at times of seasons of spiritual change, there is an axe laid at the root of trees. Not laid at the branches, laid at the root of trees. In other words, the tree is going to come down. And in times of spiritual change, in times of spiritual transition, there's a lot of things that look like the things of God that are removed from society. The ax is already laid at the root of trees. Seasons of spiritual transition are seasons of removal. Things that are not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, they just go away. A young pastor asked me one time, Pastor Sumbra, how is it? that these huge churches that we, we saw in the early 80s, the buildings don't even exist anymore. Well, in times of spiritual transition, in times when the Spirit of God is moving, things that are not bearing fruit, things that are just there 
taking up space and consuming the resources of the kingdom of God and not bearing fruit, they just disappear. Then he continues. And the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? So he said, listen, you want to know how to act sincere. Okay, let's talk about sincerity. He answered them. First, he talks to the average person. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So he said, all right, to the crowds, show generosity. When you say that you've repented, when you say that you've changed, one of the fruits should be generosity. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, now, now here's reality for a tax collector. Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. All right, here's reality. Here's bearing fruit of repentance. Let's, let's do reality. Let's, let's be honest in our tax collection. Soldiers also ask him, and we, what are we to do? He said, we, we, don't, we want to be sincere too. What's the fruit of our repentance? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false, false accusation and be content with your wages. Now, everybody knows the wages of a soldier are um, a little thin. All right, we understand that. It's always historically been that way. But soldiers have incredible authority, especially an occupying army. Let me say that again, especially an occupying army. They have incredible authority. The people's rights have been completely taken away. Think of the Japanese occupation of our own beloved homeland during World War II. The rights of the people are taken away. These soldiers are like little gods walking around. They can steal anything they want from people. And so John says, don't extort money from anybody by threats or false accusation. In other words, don't abuse your authority and be content with your wages. Verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. Now, let's stop there. As the people were in expectation. <laughs> One of the things that a new wave of God, a new season of the spirit, a new, a new revival wave beginning to flow causes is an attitude of expectation. People realize things are about to be different. Things are changing. There's, there's an expectation. So I, I write in the side of my Bible, the atmosphere of expectation. And they were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ because they were all looking for the Christ. And if you go with us to Israel today, people still sing songs of the coming of the Messiah. They are still looking for the Christ. They don't realize he's come yet, but many of them do. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, and the strap of whose sandal I am not unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. With the coming of Jesus, we find empowerment for ministry, and we find separation. He said, there's two things you're going to see when Messiah comes. When Jesus begins to minister, John said, two things you're going to see. You're going to see him empowering people for ministry, baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Go over to Acts 1 and Acts 2, and you begin to see the purpose of this is for empowerment of ministry. And he said, he's going to separate. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to clear the threshing floor. One of the things that you see very clearly in every great move of God and all revival is, is God visiting his people. Jesus walking among us, Revelation chapter two and Revelation chapter three. When Jesus walks among us, he separates things. People begin to see what's real and what's just false religion. So these are the things that we look at. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. He had John locked up in prison. Now notice, John was not afraid of rich, powerful people. Too often today in this new engaging the culture environment, pastors are trying to sip sip with the rich and powerful and not touch their lifestyles. I sat down with a pastor one time and I said, listen, there's this guy in your church and he's got a secretary and that secretary comes to my church and he's always trying to get this secretary 
to go to a hotel with him. I said, would you please, this guy claims he's a board member of your church. Would you please deal with this guy's hormone issues? And the pastor looked at me and said, oh, Pastor Sarmarell, I can't touch him. He's rich, he's powerful. He said, I need the offerings. I, I just shook my head and I looked at the young pastor and I said, young man, you're not a pastor, you're a janitor in the church that's just been hired and fired. Men of God, we stand up and we correct people. And if people leave the church, so be it. If they fight with us, like Herod put him in the prison, so be it. But I want you to notice, Herod had taken his brother's wife. Herod had stolen his brother's wife. He's sleeping with a woman that's not his wife. So John the Baptist, he's a straight up, honest, fair man. He says, all right, I've talked to the soldiers about fruit of their repentance. I've talked to the common people about fruit of their repentance. I've talked to everybody else. Herod, this is wrong. You don't sleep with your brother's wife. All right, let's go back into praise and worship. Well, let's come back and continue our devotions today to the book of Numbers, chapter 26. Numbers 26, we pick up today with verse 52. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Among these the land shall be divided for inheritance. Now, notice the purpose of a distribution of assets. 
was not just to transfer wealth, it was to create inheritance. Now, let me just stop here for a minute and put a couple of things into your minds about this word inheritance. When the people of Israel lived in the land of Egypt, there was no inheritance for their children. They were slaves. This is what poverty and sin does. There's there's nothing to leave to the next generation. Every generation starts at zero. This is what poverty does. This is what sin does. Every generation starts at zero. When God brought the people out of poverty, out of slavery, out out of sin, and he brought them into their own land, He brought them into a capital-based economic system. And he said, the reason I want every person to have land, and you'll see here, every person was to get land. Every person was to have land so that there would be an inheritance. He said, shall be divided for inheritance. This is the purpose of the distribution of the land. It is not just to give one generation wealth, it is for inheritance. Now, it's fascinating as you study the the economic model of the people of Israel that God laid out. Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, all the land went back to the original members of the family. So like if you sold your land because of debts or whatever, at the end of the year of Jubilee, that land came back to the next generation. So once every generation, the family was recapitalized. This was the purpose. God did not intend people to live in poverty because of one generation's drunkenness or one generation's foolishness or one generation's sin. Sin can cause you to lose everything that God has blessed you with. Drunkenness can cause you to lose everything God has blessed you with. Gambling can cause you to lose everything God has blessed you with. But God says, once a generation, every generation gets an opportunity to start again. No family will be condemned to poverty for eternity. That was God's economic model. So understand, the land, the purpose of the distribution of the land was for inheritance. The word for shows purpose. For inheritance, according to the number of names. Now notice, not according to wealth, not according to prestige, not according to what you had accomplished in the wars, according to names. Now, that's very, very important because as we see the distribution of the land now, you're going to see God was completely fair. Everybody got blessed. To a large tribe, you should give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe, you should give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. Now, the list there was names. But the land shall be divided by lot. In other words, all right, every every tribe is going to get this much land based on how many people that you have in your tribe. But the actual distribution of every lot, it's not going to go to your favorite people. You don't get to you get to, don't get to show nepotism or anything like that. It's all chosen by lot. But the land should be divided by lot according to the names. Again, according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to lot between the larger and the smaller. This is the list of Levites. Now, Levites are talked about here for a different reason. This is the list of Levites according to their clans of Gershon, the clan of the Gershonites, Kohath, the clan of the Koholites, and Moriah, the clan of the Moriahites. These are the clans of Levi, the clan of Libnites, the clan of Hebronites, the clan of Malites, and the clan of Mushites. I'd like to be called the Mushites, okay, the Mushites. The clan of the Korites. And Kohath was the father of Amran. And the name of Amron's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who bore Levi in Egypt. And she bore Amron, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And to Aaron were born Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Hephatar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now, I'm glad God's more merciful today than he was in that day. And I can't say that. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because God's mercy never changes. But God was very strict with the people of Israel about worship. They offer they offered unauthorized fire. I, I sometimes fear for churches today when you 
you see naked cowboys in their women's presentations from the the iconic character from New York, or you you see all kinds of secular music being sung in church. This is not authorized fire. Worship is always offered to God. But that's another sermon. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, and those listed were 23,000, every male from a month old and upward. For they were not listed among the people of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the people of Israel. The people of the tribe of Levi were to serve in a spiritual capacity. They were not given an inheritance. They were not given businesses. Now, the land, according to an agricultural society, that's business, all right? It's not like factories and stuff like we have today, but it was purely an agrarian society. And so they weren't given businesses among the people. And repetitively, we see that Levites were to focus on God and the spiritual care of the people. These were also listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. So notice, we're down there by Jericho again. Now, if you've been to Israel with us, think, when we hang a right off that road coming up from Galilee through the Jordan Valley, we hang a left, we go down to the Dead Sea, we hang a right, we go up past Jericho and then go up the mountain to Jerusalem. This is where all that took place. But among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of the Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left, except Caleb the son of Jehonah and Joshua the son of Nun. Now, God kept his promises. There are people that because they walk in faith, they have to go through a season of waiting because the others have not walked in faith. The people of Israel had been in rebellion against God. God wiped out an entire generation. But Joshua and Caleb were the two witnesses who came back with words of faith. And because of that, they entered the promised land. Chapter 27, verse 1. Then drew near the daughters of Zolophad, the son of Hepner, the son of Gilead, the son of Macher, the son of Manasseh, from the tri or from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Now, so here is a descendant of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tizra. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. He had no sons. Why should the clan of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Now, several things I want you to notice in this passage. First of all, I want you to notice that assets and wealth bring new challenges and new decisions. The people of Israel never had to decide about, do our daughters get an inheritance? They, they never had to think about passing on assets to the next generation because they'd had no assets. I was laughing with somebody the other day. For most of our life, Sister Bev and I had nothing. But now we have our own piece of property and we're building a house on it. And you know, I have an inheritance to leave to my children's children. Now, you know, it's it's funny when you have nothing, forgive me, life is very uncomplicated. There aren't very many decisions to make. But some of you now, God's been good to you. And please, I want to just stop and say this here. God's been good to you. Now you have a home, you have land, you have several other lots, you have rental properties, you have a business. Now you have to think about what gets passed on to the next generation. And how does this get passed on to the next generation? Now, the men of Israel, the leaders of Israel had never had to make a decision like this before because there had been no inheritance. So I take a little note in my Bible, wealth brings new problems and new required decisions. So this is something you need to get a hold of. But secondly, I want you to also notice, these women came forward and said, listen, our father died for his own sins. We recognize that, but he was not part of the rebellion of the sons of Korah. He was not part of that. 
Now, that seems to be a very important thing in the minds of the people of Israel. So I make a little note in my Bible, study why this was so important, because I couldn't answer you right now. Now, you notice I keep saying, make a little note, make a question mark. 99% of learning is recognizing questions, learning to ask questions. So, okay, why was this so important that he was not part of that company? I need to go back and study that. Moses brought their case before the Lord. Now, here's a great thing to do when you've never made a decision before, when you've never set any precedent, when you've never walked this way before. You sit down and you ask the Lord. You inquire of the Lord. Many of you are having to make decisions you've never made before in life. So, okay, follow Moses' pattern. Moses had never had to make this decision before. He brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, the daughters of Zelophad are right. Wow. Okay, guys, these women are right. <laughs> now, guys, uh, straight up talk. Sometimes you're going to come to God and you're going to be asking God about something and God's going to say, your wife is right. Your daughters are right. Ladies, God stands up for you. The daughters of Zelophad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. You shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. Okay, that makes life very easy for me. Where does my inheritance go? To my daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and a rule, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, if you'll study old British common law, you'll find that the laws of inheritance have not changed much since this passage. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. Now notice, given to the people of Israel. Moses, I didn't give this land to you and then you share it with the people. Moses, I gave this land to the people. One of the things every leader needs to understand is that we don't own what God is giving to the people. I. I Forgive me, I don't believe in pastors who own their church properties or families that own the church properties or uh, a small group of businessmen who own the church properties. This is one of those verses that I use as a reason why the property is owned by the congregation. All of the assets of COP are owned by the congregation. He said, to the people of Israel, all that God has given to us as a congregation, God has given to the people. He didn't give it to me, gave it to the people. When you have seen it, you shall also be gathered to your people, as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. Now, let's just stop here. Moses is a leader, had violated one of the great principles of leadership. You show respect for God before the people. Disobedience, public disobedience of God is disrespect. And God said, because of that, there is a consequence, Moses. You shall never enter the promised land. You will only see it from a distance. Now, seeing it from a distance is the mercy of God. But he said, you won't enter it. Moses spoke to the people. Or Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. Now, Moses knew he's at the end of his ministry, and now he makes a prayer of succession. Now, it's, it's funny to me how many people want to run around and say, no man has been a success until he has a successor. And I'm 63, I'm still a young man, but people are always walking up to me saying, where is your successor, Pastor Sumrall? I'm sorry, what are you talking about? What is your plan of succession? I'm sorry, I didn't think that that's my plan. Now, now, brothers and sisters, we need to get some stuff just straight up. When it's time for me to go home, I will pray a prayer of succession. Lord, would you raise up somebody? 
you cannot appoint a successor. This is why many great churches in the world fall apart when the next pastor takes over. My grandfather once told me, never take over a church that's had a pastor before them for a long period of time. I said, why? He said, because the next pastor never survives. And I said, why? He said, because it's not God's successor. It's a man called successor. Now notice, Moses said, God, please raise up a successor. The person to lead COP after God is done with me is someone that God will raise up. If we try to choose them, they will be destroyed. But if God chooses them, they will take the church to even greater heights than we've ever seen in all of our years as a church. So let's, let's leave the succession thing to God. God knows who he wants to lead the church. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua. Now notice, Moses did not choose Joshua. A committee did not choose Joshua. The Lord said, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hands on him. So God chose Joshua as the successor, not Moses. God chose him. God chose him because he's a man in whom is the spirit. Wow. But you know, there's some other things you notice about Joshua. Even when Moses would leave the presence of God in the tent of meeting, Joshua would linger behind. Joshua was a man who loved the presence of God. Yes, he was a man of war, but he loved the presence of God. He's almost like a, a precursor to King David. He said, and lay your hand on him. Let the anointing be transferred. Let there be a transfer of authority and responsibility. Lay your hands on him. Make him stand before Eliezer the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. All right, Moses, you transfer leadership. You, you do the transfer of leadership in their sight. I was once privileged to watch the witnessing of a, a transfer of authority in a military operation. And one man came and presented orders to the man who was in charge. The orders were read before the men. All the assembly of the men were gathered together. Then the other man endorsed this new commander. But it wasn't the old commanders who picked the new commander. It was the outside leadership who chose the new commander. And then the old commander endorsed him to the people, and it was all done publicly. This is similar to what we're talking about here. Not the same, but similar. God said, Moses, Joshua, Moses said, God, we need a new leader. It's time for me to go home. You said, all right, provide us a new leader. God sent Joshua. Then God said, Moses, you take Joshua and you endorse him and present him before the people as the leader. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of Israel may obey. In other words, there's a transfer of authority and a transfer of responsibility. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, and he shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. Chapter 28, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my, my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. So there's a time to bring worship. And you shall say to them, This is the food offering that you shall, make, you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs a year without blemish, day by day as a regular offering. And one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for the grain offering, mixed with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which is ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb, and in the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at mid-twilight. Like the grain offerings of the morning and like its drink offering, you shall offer them as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 9. On the Sabbath day, 
two male lambs, a year old without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil and a drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Verse 11. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish, also three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil for one ram, and a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb, for the burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be a half a hen of wine for a bull, and a third of hen for a ram, and a quarter of hen for a lamb. This is a burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Now, brothers and sisters, you look at all this and go, oh, ho, hum, pastor, do we have to read this? Yes, you read all of it. Because it's amazing what great truths you see all of a sudden. Now, now brothers and sisters, all of these sacrificial systems that we see laid out by Moses for the people of Israel, all of these are pointing us to Jesus to come. And there will be a day during the millennium when we will go to the temple in Jerusalem and these offerings will again be being offered. This time not looking forward to Messiah, but just like communion is looking back, these will be offerings looking back to Messiah. This whole sacrificial system, everything in the law was a schoolmaster, Paul said, to bring us to Jesus. He teaches us. Verse 16. On the 14th day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall be unleavened bread be, may be eaten. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now sometimes there's work that has to be done, but not the ordinary stuff. But offer a food offering, a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls from the herd, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old. See that they are without blemish, because this is a foretaste of Messiah to come. Also their grain offerings of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah shall you offer for a bull, and two-tenths for a ram. A tenth shall you offer for each of the seven lambs. Also one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In the same way, you shall offer daily for seven days the food of a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Verse 26. On the day of first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And notice how often God understands there is work that has to be done, but not ordinary work. There are emergencies that come up. But offer a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Two bulls from a herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for a ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, with one male goat to make atonement for you, besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering. You shall offer them and their drink offering. See that they are without blemish. Why? Because the Messiah would be the spotless lamb. All right. Let me spend some time in prayer for you for just a moment before we get going today. I've got three minutes left. I don't know how I finished all that in time. Father, I lift to you your sons and daughters today. These are unstable times. But Lord, you said in Isaiah that you are the stability of our times. Father, you are our rock. Upon you we have built our lives. Your word is a rock. Upon your word we have built our lives. Father, let that stability let that stability be demonstrated in our lives right now. In these unstable times and everything that can be shaken is being shaken, be the stability for the lives of the people. And Father, I thank you for your promise. No sickness shall come near our dwelling place. Father, <laughs> I thank you that as we have made our dwelling in you, Lord, our homes are in you. 
We don't even understand that with our simple brains, but we dwell in you. And as long as we dwell in you, no sickness shall come near our home, shall come near our dwelling place. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, let this plague stop outside our doors. Let every one of our family members, let everyone who works in our home, we thank you for shield and protection around them. It's not just around us personally, Father, it's around our home. I thank you for it. And Father, these are great days of opportunity. Wealth will transfer in days like this. Father, let your people get their eyes off of the panic. Let your people get their eyes off of the mogulo and let them see opportunities, Father. Let them see tremendous opportunities for wealth to transfer to their families. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We will not be doing this tomorrow, going into church services tomorrow, unless unless the government issues an order for no church services, all right? But as things planned right now, there'll still be service tonight, still be services tomorrow, and then we take it one day at a time. But as soon as there are no services, not only will I be coming to you every day like this, and really, whether it's church services or not, every morning I'm going to come straight into your home and talk to you like this. If they cancel church services, then I'll come to a special church service every night in your home or on your cell phone. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.